Welcome back, everybody, to another episode. My name's Emery Wolf, and joining me is... Nick Lamb. And together we are Just Two Camera Guys, a show where we're going to talk all things camera. A bit of a special show today. Joining us today is a local legend, a guy who's worked with CBC for 35 years. I think he's supposed to be retired, but he Mm -hmm. continues to work with the riders, continues to work with the Pats, and he just got back from the Olympics. So he's our very own Olympian. Let's get into it. (laughs) Jeff Nansen. Jeff. Hey, how's it going, guys? Hey. Not too bad. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. That was a pretty slick hat you got on. I figured I'd wear it for the start. Just (laughs) because, you know, it's a bit of paraphernalia from there. Yeah, Yeah. pretty cool. Now, you Uh, guys, very professional. Lit, the whole thing. (laughs) Anyway. Which makes sense. Anyways, I'm sort of in my kitchen. I'll, I'll ditch the hat, but you know. Ah, the hat's cool. Yeah. Okay. It's, I'll leave it on. It's pretty anyway, wild. It's, like, it's I, up to you, no, though. No, I'll leave it on. I mean, it's, it is part of, part of it. These are probably going to be collectibles. Yeah. Reason, was it, was it like free swag? No. This, well, we got free clothes, but this was uh, like any of the, uh, Sort of the, the the basically anything that everybody can buy. Um, there wasn't much, um, and I think it's going to be very collectible because there's not very much out there. You can't. You can go on the website right now, but they say they don't deliver outside of Canada or outside of Japan. So people are speculating because there wasn't a lot to buy, and usually athletes stack up with a ton of stuff but you really couldn't find much around because it was so muted. Everything was, there was no signage, very, very little, you know, like hardly anything saying there's an Olympics on. Yeah. Cutting costs wherever they can. probably. Well, and everywhere else I've been, you, you don't see anything but Olympic signage everywhere there. You, you didn't know there was an Olympics even in town. Right. Yeah. So getting kind of into it, Jeff, uh, you've, you've done a few Olympics. Um, what is that like? How does that like happen? How do they contact you? What happens with that? How do they know that Jeff Nensen's our guy? (laughs) Those those are questions that a lot of people would like to know. Um, uh, really what, what happens is you sort of grow into it. Um, you sort of have to have a work ethic and sort of be known around sort of the uh, mobile sort of divisions, whatever. Back in the old days when CBC was doing a lot of stuff, we were busy people. And um, so the more you did and the more you, the better you got at it, um, the more likely you were to go to the Olympics because they needed a lot of people. Um, CBC generally crewed everybody. Um, so it was kind of a natural fit when you worked at CBC. To, to crew them at first. And then of course, TSN started in, in you know, Sportsnet and Dome, um, say 30 years ago, I guess. And so then any, in 2000 and, or uh, in 28, 20, or 1988, Calgary was given to CTV for the host broadcast. Um, but I still, that was my uh, very first Olympics because uh, they hired the CBC crew to do skiing. So um, there was a crew of about, I'm going to say 120 people. 
And that was my first um, initiation with fiber. It wasn't even sort of, it was just kind of starting in its infancy sort of thing. So they had, inf they had um, fiber infrastructure up to the top of the mountain on that one. And that was state of the art. So they were over the moon that it was even working. So they had uh, all the way down, that was the first Olympics and first, I think, downhill event that they had cameras all the way down the hill. And there was a crew of 120 people. And that's why, that was why they needed so many people. That's one of the first ones I ever got on. Um, from that point on, once you sort of get on a list, you sort of stay on it, if that makes sense. Because you know how to get in and out of venues. You know how to um, sort of, you know, not bug athletes when you're at venues, even celebrities. I mean, it's, it's really about respecting people's, you know, space. And, and then, you know, just, just sort of, even in, in the day of social media, not posting too much stuff about the Olympics. There was a story where a guy got his accreditation and uh, took a picture of it, put it, posted it on social media. And of course, had all of his details on it, right? So he, they, they contacted him and said, sorry, you can't go. You're just now a security risk. You just exposed yourself, right? So it's kind of... Um, yeah, Emery wasn't too happy about that, but he's getting over it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, and I get the reason why... He's you learned his lesson. It's exciting stuff. So you want to say, hey, I can do this. This is great. And, you know, so, I, but I mean, there is a lot of stuff, even with the, this Olympics, this past one in Tokyo, it definitely um, was a test in terms of staying healthy and, and isolating and, and, and all of that. So it was so different. It was a very muted Olympics. It was a very um, isolating Olympics. I, I didn't even go past a block from our hotel um, in, in Tokyo. And if you've ever been to Tokyo, it's a gorgeous city and it's like, there's so much to explore even within 10 blocks of where I was, um, but just couldn't go. So it was very, um, and you wanted to stick, stick to what they wanted you to do because it really depended on people, you know, sort of social distancing, uh, wearing masks, getting tested all of that because you know it, it it was a big deal to the whole country and they really didn't want them for that reason because it brought the you know coronavirus into into japan from by other people um but i mean if you socially distanced and you did all the stuff you're supposed to they could catch it pretty quick if somebody did have it so um i was tested a lot so it was a good thing Anyways, um, I don't know if that answered your question, but <laughs> that, that did more than answer my question. Yeah. Um, yeah. Before we, what we kind of jumped over here too, Jeff, is just to give people an idea of, of what your job is. What, what do you actually do? Like you've done this all your life. I think it's the same thing for everything, but uh, what do you do for actual work? Well, I, right now I'm working for the riders, um, but, but I mean, one thing I did in my career is always a, a chameleon. I always did stuff that people said, well, you know, you should just stick to one thing and do that. Um, in, in, uh, when I was in um, Calgary in 88, I was doing replays. Um, so I, I did that on one inch tape machines back then. And, and I mean, so every, every games, I was a different 
personality in terms of uh, uh, whatever technical need was needed. So I, I did a whole bunch of different things. And because I had such a big, well-rounded background, I, I could do different things. And it was, I was good at tape for a long time. I traveled the country doing that for 10, 15 years and then sort of got out of it when I had a family and I didn't want to travel anymore. Uh, I decided not to go into the, the great big EVS systems, right? Um, so that kind of limited me after that into replay. So then I started doing maintenance and video and just all around general technician kind of thing. So I, it, I was never, I was never a cameraman, you know, I was never, I went and I did different things at every every Olympics. So I did video in see in Athens. I did video um, for the morning show for the Ron McLean show. Um, not Ron McLean. I guess it was um, Terry Libel was doing the morning shows. So I, I did that, and then I did a little bit of the Ron McLean show just because it was the time difference was so odd, and there was two of us just going back and forth. Yeah, just to talk about video itself, like when you're doing that, that's essentially you in a back room, you're adjusting colors, you're adjusting our irises, you're adjusting all those things on our, our cameras. Yeah. Basically, you're the one who makes us look good. Well, yeah, it, I, it's, it was a little easier in, in Tokyo uh, for a video guy um, because they came up with a great big book on video and cameras and because Sony is based in, in Japan, it was pretty easy for them to put this together. Um, there was an actual uh, VIC, which is a video in charge, and he set up all the cameras. Um, I, they, in past Olympics, they had, you know, you go from one sport to the next to the next. And if you had one video guy in charge at that point, they would pick a sort of a standard they liked. And then that venue would look like that. But then if you wipe from one venue to another, um, it looked different. So this was the first one where I've seen a video in charge. They would all talk to each other and there'd be somebody at IBC, which is the International Broadcast Center, which was monitoring all of our feeds. And there's a lot of them. I mean, there's a lot of venues. Um, and so they would make sure that everybody was the same color. And this was the first Olympics that I've seen them do that, which is a smart idea on their part. They invested a lot of money in it. Uh, they added more people. And um, so really, for me, it was a lot easier because they set the cameras up and they told us if something was wrong. Um, and then we shaded. And so it, both venues were outdoors. So that was busy because um, there was a lot of cloud and sun. So, and I mean, it was, it was a bit of a test, but I mean, it wasn't that bad. I mean, it, you know, it wasn't like you did video that I've done before that you had to set the cameras up and do all of it it's getting a lot more automated. So. So how many cameras would you actually like operate at that time or shade for? Well, uh, the, uh, the cross country uh, event was only a three hour event. Um, and they had a setup crew there for six days and there's no metal attached to it. Um, and it's a part of three events that horse jumping goes through a dressage a cross country. And I'm not sure of the, of the third event. So they would score people on that. So this part of it, this three hour show had 48 cameras in it. Um, the course was six and a half kilometers and they had full coverage of all the horses. So, and all of the cameras were recorded because that way they could archive every horse 
a horse was released. It takes about three minutes for the horse to go through the whole course. And there was at times three horses on the course because they would go every 90 seconds. Oh, you don't so, have to tell Emery. He's a huge fan of this sport. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's pretty British. If you're sort of, um, if you're British, you would love this sport. So, it, but anyways, they, uh, it was quite an interesting. I love how none of us know what it's actually called. And it's a huge sport. Like most of these sports that I've covered, they're huge someplace. Yeah. Uh, oh, know, yeah. There's, it's funny how you, you sort of have, you could do a, a dart game here and there wouldn't be a big audience. But if you showed it in, in a, you know, the UK, you'd have a huge audience. Wow. So that's why, that's why these events matter to somebody. Like so you had to shade all those cameras over all those so, kilometers. Well, I didn't. There was, there was uh, 10 video guys on that. Wow. So, um, yeah, it was, I, I mean, everybody was, I had four cameras. Yeah. And that was, but I mean, it, it was, it was pretty, it wasn't that hard because the horse would just go by every 30 seconds or every, every 90 seconds, I should say. So I just had to make sure that the colors were, or the, or the video was correct at that time. Yeah. And that's cool. So over three hours. So, but it was a big event. I mean, it, it was, there was a lot of riders and uh, I mean, 48 cameras, there's four jibs, uh, a cable camera that was <laughs> above the wow. course. Um, I mean, oh, wow. Talked about like difficult things. What what is with your job? What is the most difficult thing to handle? Is it always those elements, or are there other things? Like I mean, even uh, too, given that they threw in so many different cameras this year too, with all the jibs and wires. I think the most difficult um, of any Olympics is the unknown part of it. I mean, you're going, and they give you a whole bunch of information on what's going on, but you really don't know what your role is till you get there. Um, and it's kind of the unknown sometimes that's a bit scary. Like there's a lot of pressure on a lot of people, um, and people react under pressure differently. Right. Mm. I think the best quality you can have is to just kind of, you know, be, be very calm and cool and try to keep your composure and, and try to realize everybody's in the same boat and just try to try to do the best you can with what you have and figure out what, like just like here, it's just that that's a bigger stage, and uh, just to kind of set it up. I mean, I left here at seven seven forty in the morning, seven forty a.m. Right? I flew to Toronto, which is kind of the wrong place. You should go to Vancouver; it's a lot shorter. But that's the way this they there's not very many flights in Vancouver at this time. So, anyways, I flew to Toronto, um, got to Toronto, left at five thirty Toronto time, which is like three thirty our time. And you get into Tokyo, I think I got there about 3.30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. But they're 15 hours ahead of us. Now, I was there the next day in theory, right? Because it takes you two days to get there because they're 15 hours ahead. Um, and it also takes you 13 and a half hours to fly there because you're going against trade winds. So you have a 13 and a half hour flight. Um, but, I mean, I figured it was up by that point. Uh, boy, I gotta, I gotta try and remember the numbers. I ended up being up for 28 hours altogether. But I was in the, I was in the airport. I was in the airport for seven hours. You had to take a test at, at 96 hours before, and then another one at 72 hours before to, um, to, and have them written in paper by a doctor 
So we went through a company, have these papers all signed and delivered to us just in time to wow. take them to Tokyo. And then you have to get another test done in the airport and then sit and wait for that. That's why you wait for this, the seven hours in the airport. Then you get on a bus from there. Narita Airport's about an hour from downtown Tokyo. So you get on a bus and then we, there was three buses at the time of flights coming in from the States. So then that was another hour a trip from the airport after being in the airport for seven hours, trip to downtown. Then, then they had a distribution center that they dropped all the three buses off at. Three, uh, that's like 150 people. And then you had to take a cab from there to your hotel because there was all distributed around within probably about a two kilometer radius of that station. So I was up for 28 hours, right? So after that, I finally get in my room. I get to go to sleep at midnight, their time. And this is the time that most people sleep because I have to be up at a seven o'clock um, wake up call. Oh, wow. At eight. So you've only had, you know, I've got this much sleep so far. And, and that sleep is critical. That six hour sleep is critical to try to catch up and be on the time in Japan. Well, at three in the morning, uh, I have a, these tiny rooms and it's basically a bathroom and a bed, really. Um, but anyways, in that room, there was a, a Japanese lady screaming at about three in the morning. And there was a strobe light going on and on and on at three in the morning. And I'm realizing, I think it's a fire alarm, right? And I'm, I'm half a, like, I don't even know my name because I've just been up for 28 hours, been asleep for three hours, the best three hours of my life. And then, and then, and then this goes off. And so I went, well, I'm going to look outside. I opened the door and there's a girl one, one down the hallway and there's smoke. There's a hint of smoke. So I go, I got to get out of here. <laughs> right. So, so I, 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 I get dressed. I take my accreditation and I leave my, passport and my wallet, everything else, because I'm just in a daze. I don't even know my name. I get on the third floor of the hotel and I'm trying to take the exit and I can't. I can't open the door. They're all locked. So I go down where this one girl was. Thankfully, I mean, and the Japanese people are beautiful people. She waited around to see if there was anybody in the hallways because she had the same problem. But there's a little sticker on the bottom. It was a little plastic sticker that's all in Japanese. And it basically, so she went, oh, right. I could tell, and then she ripped it off and there's a little lever there that unlocks the door so you can go down. If I, I mean, if I, if I wouldn't have run into her, I wouldn't have been able to get out of there anyways. So we got out of the, we, we went down to the fire, fire escape, three floors, um, went out to the front of the hotel and there's people outside and there is a fire. There's a, there's a, like, there's ladder trucks. Like this is a seven story hotel, right? Um, so we, <laughs> we go sit out front and what it is, there is a tempura restaurant. <laughs> All of their buildings are really close together. And the tempura restaurant had a big uh, transformer at the back and it, you could smell it was an electrical fire. And because it was so hot out at night, all the windows were open in the hotel. And so all of this smoke drifted into the hotel. And, and I mean, it was, it was kind of surreal. We sat out front till 4.30 in the morning, waiting for them to put the fire out. And then they finally said, you know, they took our names. The people from the hotel came and took our names and all this stuff and protocols. Even with COVID, they had to make sure that 
social distancing in the street. Like they were doing all of that stuff too, because they were all kind of a little hyper about stuff like that. Anyways, after an hour and a half out front, we finally got to go into the hotel. So I'm back in my room at 4.30 and I still got a wake up call at seven. So I tried to go back to sleep and then I, oh, no. I, couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't. So I had three hours of sleep and then I went to work. And that luckily that wasn't the first day of competition. That was my what first day. What do you do that first day? Well, just to, get, just to figure out what you're doing, you have to, like a lot of people are there before you, so they can kind of tell you, this is what you're going to do. So you just get oriented. You find out where the lunchroom is, where the washrooms are, like just generally how you get into the venue because you got to take a bus and the same bus takes everybody at the same time. You have to be there on time. Um, you got to find out where, where the bus is, where it picks up. Like all of the, it's all of the logistics of just getting around during an Olympics because there's so many people involved. Um, it takes a long time. And then once you're actually working, Jeff, how, how grueling is it? Or did, I guess maybe a better question to ask is, did you ever catch up on sleep? Yeah, probably about by the second week. Um, Cause the, the first, uh, this is where it goes from here, right? I, that was just a regular day. We had 10 hour days. Um, so I just had a regular day that day for orientation and everything, get back on the bus, come back at the hotel by 6.30. Then we had a 6.45 call because then we were working 16-hour days. So from 6.45, there was we had 16 games, and they're all half hour each. So they added more crew, luckily, because of COVID, I believe, and also the rotation to get through a 16-hour day because there was, there was 16 games about a, I mean, it took a half an hour to play these three on three basketballs, but it really took an hour. So that's where the 16 hours came from. So we got back at about 1130 at night and then did it again the next day. So wow. you, did that, you did that for three days because this venue was a shared venue. So we did uh, three on three basketball. Then I, I'm not sure how the transition period, but three or four days later, they were rock climbing. I don't know if you guys watch the speed climbers. I was watching some of it here. Um, that same venue was the same place. They took some of the stands and they just reconfigured the stand, stands and made it rock climbing. So they, they sort of made, they didn't make permanent buildings for this Olympics, which is good. They sort of made temporary buildings for, and they tried to share, share venues where they could just to save some money. So, so that I never did catch up on my sleep. I guess that's the answer. <laughs> I, I never got caught up until I came home. So <laughs> So that's kind of what you have to do and how grueling it is. Plus you have to try and avoid COVID at the same time. So when people say it's, it's easy to go there, not, no, it's, you have to be in shape. I've, I've sort of taken care of myself for six months ahead of time, just to, just to know that I would be, be going through stuff like that. How would you compare like this Olympics to past ones you've worked? Like how, how was this one different, I guess? I mean, in, in past Olympics, there's just people everywhere. Um, signage, everybody knows. The airport, full of people, packed all the time. Um, and this was not. It was, um, I think the streets weren't that busy. Um, they have Olympic lanes in other, like, in other games, just so traffic, like, that the bus traffic can get through because there is so much traffic generally. Uh, there was none of that. It was a very, very minute amount of people, I think, compared to what usually would be there. 
Did uh, you find it weird with no fans too? Or Yeah. And I think the athletes did too. I think um, it, it was kind of weird to sort of watch somebody win a gold medal and then, you know, it's, it's kind of empty, right? You know, it's, it's just different. It, it has, it, it was just not the same. This, this games will be one of those ones with an asterisk around it just to sort of uh, give it a, a little different feel. So. And just to bottle that up, how many people from Saskatchewan were actually there? Like not the, oh, like just the crew people, do you know? I only know of two of us, um, Neil Cochran and me. Um, there might've been sometimes, um, one of the guys from Saskatoon, I forget his name at this point, does EVS. Sometimes he's been, he was in, he was in Korea. Um, um, so it just depends. Like it depends how big the crews are. This was a smaller crew than normal. Uh, when, when Korea happened, there was a, a lot, a lot more people. It was a bigger crew. Um, but I, I'm not sure of anybody else. Do you feel kind of like, like you're the chosen one to no. be able to go? <laughs> no, I don't. I, I feel lucky. I mean, it's like, it's, you, you, you know what? I, I think it's the skill set that I have that fits and just the knowledge of what you need to know when you get into an Olympic games. Uh, it really goes a long ways. Like I think if this was your first Olympics, I think you would have a hard time figuring out stuff because there wasn't as many people. There wasn't as much information. It was a bit more muted. Um, and there was a lot more protocols, a lot, a lot. Like you had to, you had to test for the first three days you were there for COVID and some of that stuff isn't written down. You sort of have to go word of mouth with it. And then even how do you did it, right? <clears throat> you, you had, they have apps for every, like if we had, we had, we have to have a cell phone and we had like three apps and you, you take a QSC code from the, the actual test and it would take you to a website where you'd enter all, enter all your information. And then you take the barcode off of your tube that you uh, spit into. And then that, then you'd put that into one of the boxes that you would see at the venue and everybody did that. So that was how they collected it all. And then the barcode would match you to the, to the, the sample. And then you'd, you would never hear your results <clears throat> right away, but you could go onto a different app and find out all your results. So I never did look. Um, I just assumed they're all negative. I mean, someone would have told you if it was bad. <laughs> yeah. That would have known for sure if I was positive. So. And then at the very last, I, you had to have a, a sample done within 72 hours of your flight. And then also it printed on a piece of paper to bring back to Canada. That got us back into Canada. Otherwise, um, <clears throat> you, if you didn't have that, I felt bad because one guy, he did his sample, he did all the stuff. He didn't pick up his piece of paper and they didn't let him on the plane in Tokyo. So he had to stay till the next flight to Canada. So just because he didn't have that piece of paper to show the Canadian customs and Air Canada just said, no, you know, they might refuse you at the border. So we can't take that chance. So if you didn't have your paperwork in order, you didn't get on a plane. Like you had to really make sure that you had all of the stuff. And if you were doing this the first time, uh, it would have been tough. It would have been very hard. Yeah. So making that jump now, you're at the Olympics, you have these strict protocols, everything's this ginormous stage. You come yep. back to Saskatchewan to 30,000 people running <laughs> rapid. 
yeah, yeah. With, at the stadium. What What's that like going from that shift from like two yeah. totally opposite domains? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that that is a big leap. It's it's true. Um, you know, you go from sort of like just a sort of a staged event with no people at all to a massive event with tons of public. Um, it, that was different. It was um, especially the, the first game of the Ryder game. Everybody was pumped to see it. Right. Um, it was it was uh, it was a big adjustment just even to be working right because we haven't worked for such a long time so just to just to start to remember what the stadium had in it and some of that stuff i was like okay with well, some of the problems that we're having right i was like okay i know this one but what was the problem <laughs> how do you fix it right so you're you're really having a test and 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 i was still a little bit jet lagged because coming back you know, I was only about five days into it. And I really didn't know if I could even work the game when I left. So um, I, you know, because I wasn't sure if I could not uh, or, or sort of skip quarantine. And because I'm fully vaccinated and, and all of that, I, I, I could. So, I mean, I still wore a mask and took precautions. But um, I, I guess the other thing I, I was kind of thinking of is uh, when you were gone, uh, so the riders had a green and white game yep. and uh, this, this is a testament. I, in my intro, I called you a, a local legend, uh, <laughs> I guess in our parts anyways, um, yeah, yeah, no. but this is a testament to that. And uh, I'm setting up my camera for that green and white game. And mm-hmm. my, my box is missing the cable that goes from the camera back to oh, my yeah. monitor. Okay. So basically like, obviously I can't, if I'm trying to shoot something, I have no way to actually look at it. So we're trying to come up with all these solutions. And uh, Jenna, our director, was actually the one who sort of came up with it to use like an SDI splitter. Anyways, okay. um, yep, but yep. The, the thing that stuck out to me was one comment, and I'm not too sure who said it, but yeah. I laughed when I heard it was, yeah. where's Jeff when you need him? <laughs> yeah. yeah, there you go. But yeah, just a testament to, to how valuable you are to that team. And, and you know, well, it took us an hour to sort that situation out. Yeah. And, you know, it's only because I've done so much. It's not because I'm better than anybody else or anything. But I, I, I have to admit, I've, I've seen a lot of stuff in a lot of different venues. Um, and, like, you can sort of, um, some of the problems are always the same. They're cyclical. Like, they're always the same problems in the same places. So you, you sort of, you just, you sort of have a second guess as, as to what's going to happen. You think about it and you go, well, this is what's happened before. And um, like power is usually the biggest problems when you go to new venues. And that's sort of what we had with our venue was some power issues and some other, like just running new cables and labeling and all that stuff. That was our biggest issues. Um, and that's what happens in new venues that they build in all of the Olympics too, right? So you, you can kind of find some of the problems that there is just because you've been in a whole bunch of new different venues. Yeah. So and and to give people an idea too, I'm under the impression, correct me if I'm wrong, but you you had a lot to do with the actual setup of all that equipment in in the stadium. Well I I, I we had me and Wayne Styles, um he works at CTV, uh had a lot of input and Bill was really Bill Wright was really driving it. Um, but he really, you know, he, he let us sort of give him what we thought and, and, um, 
and they, they did have a hired a professional um, uh, company to sort of design it and sort of suggest what to put into it too. So it wasn't just me and Wayne, but um, it was it was good because we we sort of got to put in what we wanted, and also the the company that they hired also put in a whole bunch of fiber, which was their recommendation, which was the future, right? So I mean, um, I think between the all of all of the input from everybody, uh, it was kind of a really um, it ended up being a pretty good stadium in terms of conductivity for for broadcasts and like for Grey Cup, I think it'll be a really, it'll look really, really good because of the way the stadium's set up. So. Yeah. Making sure that we have like you and Wayne and still yeah, on yeah. And just having yeah. that knowledge helps. Immensely. Yeah. 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 No. And it, it was fun to do too. It was, a, it was kind of a labor of love. So it was fun. Cool. Well, uh, Jeff, we should let you go for the night. We only have three minutes left here. So uh, thank you for joining us. This was great to hear all that stuff that happened in Tokyo. Uh, Thanks. Hopefully it was insightful, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Yeah, take care. Thanks. Boy, Jeff could have actually been a lot better. No, in all seriousness, though, uh, another great interview. Jeff is always a gem to talk to. Going to see him tomorrow. So uh, thanks again, Jeff. (laughs) You're going to put that in, I know. Absolutely (laughs) putting that in. Um, Nick, I think it's late enough here for us. I think this is is good enough for us. Um, Is there any last things you want to say before we go? Um. I, what did you message me again? Let me, let's just go through that really, really quickly. And then we should probably wrap it up. That one about that? us working together. What was that one? Yeah. Let's save that one for maybe a solo episode. Yeah, Cause that's, that's going to take deep, a while. And deep. the other one, like, the... I'm not sure I want to work with you yet. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't have a choice. <clears throat> um, the technical side of things. Yeah. This will be, uh because i was wanting to push it a little more technical but you're wanting to stay with people you know, I, actually good. actually i do think that's probably like a good conversation too we could probably clump those in to to make a show um but yeah not for this show for another one next time yeah uh actually do you know what i've been texting matt howard hopefully we get him in on something here too and maybe he's a good fit for something like that as well yeah he's supposed to be a part-time a host and just never showed up He's really part-time. He's on He's very holidays part-time. this weekend too. Um, but yeah, another day, another show, Nick. This right is on. us signing off. Uh, have, a good night. Have, a, have a good day, everyone. Night. And uh, remember to always leave your lens cap on. <laughs>
and then I can give them to you on a USB maybe. I don't know when you want to have this done. Yeah, we'll, we'll sort it out tomorrow, Jeff. Uh, for tonight, okay. you should probably go to bed before you're jet-lagged <laughs> again and up for 28 hours. Yeah. My jet went, 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 went. I was just thanking them for saying it was being recorded. That's very kind of them. Like I, yeah. I could have been like there just freshly up and I still would have been completely lost. I get lost <laughs> in the airport. Well, yeah, and, and see that, those are the type of things, this is almost like, like it's a survival trip. Like that's the way the Olympics are, right? Cause it, and after like, if you're there for the, like I was only there 10 days. If you're there for two weeks, yeah, it can be brutal. 10 bucks says he replies back with something, even though I was like, I'm in a thing right now. I'll, I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> that phone, I'm going to set it down. I'm just going to let it buzz. I think I forgot my battery charger in uh, Mars' car. Can't find okay. it anywhere. You can't call yourself a professional now. No. <laughs> there it was, Jericho. Is it semicolon or is it, what's the dot dot? Is that semicolon? Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah. I I'm going to call it semicolon. Um, no, I no think semicolon's the one the... with, the, it's just colon. It's got the apostrophe at the end. Yeah, it's just a colon because the colon. And yeah, this it's is got why we're camera guys, folks. Semicolon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So with the flack you gave me on YouTube, um, my last video. <laughs> yeah, that was this, great. It's like why? Why am I running our YouTube right now? Why yeah, is it not doing it all? <laughs> Fair enough. Integrity like their integrity yeah their integrity you are trusting people on the internet <laughs> well i don't know why not if this coffee cup showing up in more videos than i count and just because <laughs> somebody sent it to us that was all right eh? that was great